everybody. It is Trags. And this week, we have a second special emergency edition of the Red Sox beat here on CLNS Media. Of course, the Red Sox beat the New York Yankees 6-2 in the wildcard game on Tuesday night before a raucous crowd of 38,000 at Fenway Park. To discuss it all, and yes, look ahead to the American League Divisional Series with the Tampa Bay Rays, I welcome back old friend Alex Barth of 98.5, the Sports Hub. Follow him on Twitter, at RealAlexBarth, all one word. Uh, pretty entertaining game, I'd say, for Red Sox fans on Tuesday night, beginning in the first inning with the two-run homer by uh, Xander Bogarts, wouldn't you say, Alex? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think, you know, from a fan point of view, it was what you look for, where there was just enough drama and nervousness to make you feel alive, but not quite enough that it ever became too scary to handle. Like, And, and I mean, we'll get into Good it, way but, to put it. you know... When he took Evaldi out there, when Cora took Evaldi out there, and I know he'd given up a couple of hits, but he's pitching well, and you think, uh-oh, like this, we've seen this before. This decision has come back to haunt managers, and, you know, kind of scooted to the end of your seat a little bit. But uh, besides that, I don't know that there was ever too much doubt on the Red Sox fans' part. I think that, that Matt Vaskersian and uh, uh, what's his name down there in New York, they they had their moments of uncertainty, especially there in the first inning. Not A-Rod, no. Oh. Um, their Yankees radio announcer. Oh, God. Um, uh, John, John Sterling. Sterling. I don't. I don't know yeah. if you saw the clip. Of I did him not. in the first inning. Oh, you haven't seen that. I need to go back and watch it. Do you want to just start right here? I, I mean, I'll tell you. So you saw yeah, Vaskersian, right? So you saw Vaskersian, right? Where he thought that ball stand hit in the first oh, inning was a home run. Yes, yes. I know exactly what to, uh, you were talking about. And to be honest, I'm like, oh my goodness. That is a bomb. It's gone. And I think everybody was fooled, including Mike Stanton himself, right? Yes. And the, by the oh, way, Gia the camera work, Stanton, I'm sorry. The camera work from ESPN didn't help. And I think they had microphones in the bats because everything sounded off the bat like it was going 500 feet. Anyway, so yeah, Vaskersian was fooled, but he at least figured it out when the ball hit the wall. If you find the John Sterling call online, Sterling never realizes it wasn't a home run. He goes into his whole, you know, the, the drawn oh out, a Stantonian home run and what a blast it was. And then all of a sudden he gets quiet and he goes, wait, what did I do wrong? Why is he standing on first base? What did I do wrong? It, oh, it's so funny. It's so funny. You got, I'll send it to you. You got to check yeah, it out. Please, I, I would love to hear that um, easy enough to uh, listen to it wherever, but Look, um, I just thought from that moment, it was bad juju for the Yankees. And I yeah. think, you know, when uh, Bogey hits that bomb to center field on an really a really terrible 89 mile an hour change up from uh, Garrett Cole, you knew it was going to be a Red Sox night. Yes, there is the past, but I think even we in New England, all Red Sox fans have to get over this. Woe is us. The Red Sox, the curse of the Red, the curse of the Bambino is still with us. It still hovers over everybody. No, it does not. The Red Sox have won eight of their last nine postseason games against the Yankees. Yeah, I and it's funny. I was talking to my dad about this game, and, and you know, my dad, who was probably about my age, maybe a little younger for Bucky Dent, and had to live through that. He lived through 03, all of that. I mean, I saw 03, but I was really young. But anyway, the point being, he said, you know, that game doesn't happen 20, 30 years ago. Like Red Sox fans don't 
as soon as Evaldi's pulled from that game, people are turning the TV off and they're hitting the panic button. And it, you know, it's, he said it's just a very different vibe than it had, he had ever seen a Red Sox Yankees meaningful game have. And, you know, to an extent, I agree. Again, I'm a little younger. Again, I didn't experience Dent. I was probably in bed when Boone hit his home run. I remember that series. Uh, I, you know, I have a vague, right. vague memory of that exact moment. I remember 04 pretty well, but, you know, it doesn't feel like the little, the Red Sox don't feel like the little brother anymore. If anything, the Yankees in New York are starting to show a little bit of an inferiority complex. I don't know if you saw the New York Post and their cover. Uh, and their whole article about why Boston's inferior, which uh, uh, they had one decent point there. I forget what it was, but outside of that, it was a bunch of BS. Uh, you know, uh, they just there's an, they're complaining about the monster when their team had wanted to play at Fenway if they got their choice, if there was the four way tie. And they're still bitching about you shouldn't have a wall like that. It's not baseball. That wall's been there longer than most of them have. OK, it's the irony of, of the that game. is the irony of that is the most famous home run arguably ever hit at Fenway Park helped the Yankees win their second straight World Series in 1978. I don't know if there's another ballpark, especially in the majors at that time, where Bucky Dent's fly ball to left field off Mike Torres is a home run. I just don't. I think it's a routine fly ball, maybe moderately deep left field, maybe on the warning track of most ballparks. But because that game was at Fenway Park in 1978. It was a home run into the screen, and it propelled the Yankees to their second straight World Series. That is the irony. I need you to tweet that so I can show it to all these Yankees fans complaining about the wall and the wall and the wall and the wall. It's ridiculous. Look, you're right. They have an inferiority complex. Look, the Red Sox didn't spend $324 million on a picture to crap the bed after two innings and not even get through the third inning. Yes. That was... Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of liken it, and we talked about this. This was a great call. You're the one who brought it up on – when did we talk? On Monday. Monday. Uh, about Garrett Cole and specifically the splits at Fenway Park. I likened it in an, to an extent to Peyton Manning at Gillette Stadium. Very there's good. Just a, there's a boogeyman there, and it gets exasperated when you get to the playoffs. And, yeah, you mentioned that curveball home run, right, that that was kind of the first turning point in that game. And I remember because I actually ended up watching the Statcast broadcast. Because you mean the changeup? There was a the changeup. Yes. Yeah. Changeup. Yes, the the changeup. Right. Um, and I was watching the Statcast broadcast because, like, as much as I hate math, I'd had enough of a rod, and and they actually brought up, and I thought this was telling that that was the first changeup that Cole had thrown that went for a home run against a right-handed batter this season. So that was, you know. Talk about getting in his head. This has been his go-to pitch against righties all year. Nobody's hit it out all year, at least no righties. And Xander just is all over it. I think in that moment, that moment changed something for him mentally because he wasn't the same. Not that he was great, but he wasn't the same after he allowed that home run. No, if, if I were Garrett Cole, I would have started throwing all fastballs. I say that. And then, of course, he throws a 97-mile-an-hour fastball above the belt. Really top of the strike zone and Kyle Schwarber obliterates at 450 feet into the uh, uh, alley in right in straightaway right field. And uh, that made it three, nothing in the third inning and, and the Red Sox weren't going to blow that lead. I just two, nothing. And, and, and had that been a one run game in the sixth inning after um, you know, Alex Cora had pulled uh, 
uh, Nate Evaldi, maybe I changed my tune a little bit, but at three, nothing, I just felt like that was the ball game. The Yankees are not coming anywhere close to touching Evaldi on this night. Not like, you know, 12 days ago or whatever it was that Friday night when the Yankees beat him eight to three, it had a completely different feel than that. And, you know, the Red Sox, uh, give it to them because they went into that game without one of their three top bats and JD Martinez out with a sprained ankle. We don't know how long he's going to be out. And I think the Red Sox, uh, certainly have the offensive depth to really not miss a beat. Would they like JD Martinez in the lineup? Of course they would, you know, by all rights, he would be the DH, but that's just not going to be the case. Doesn't have to be the case. I think for the Red Sox to give the Tampa Bay Rays all they can handle and have a chance to win the best out of five series. So it's funny. I was talking to Matt McCarthy from 98.5 The Sports Hub last night, and he brought up an interesting point that the Red Sox, just on the way he's performed, actually might be a better lineup without Shady Martinez in. And obviously, you know, that that discounts a few things there because, you know, it's not he's a valuable part of the team. You want him around. But given kind of what they did at the deadline and the way their their roster looks, it allows you to D.H. Schwarber which helps you defensively in the outfield. It gets Kike Hernandez in the outfield. And we saw last night how important having Kike Hernandez out there is. Verdugo misplays that ball in left field, and and Hernandez stops that run from scoring by a lot. And look, Phil Nevin shouldn't have sent Darren Judge, but Hernandez and and Bogart still made the play, and that was another turning moment in that game. By the way, a a quick PS, a postscript to that play. Yes, it was probably a terrible decision by Phil Nevin to send – um, Aaron judge on that play at the plate. The next play was a pop out the third base. He likely doesn't score. And really what I think is going through, uh, Nevin's mind at that point. And I don't think Alex Rodriguez, um, was thinking of this when he criticized him and, and Vascosian the same way. Um, the Yankees were not hitting Nate Avaldi. They felt desperate. We need to get this second run in to put some pressure on Avaldi. That's why he was sent to the plate. Had the Yankees been showing the ability to work Evaldi, get that pitch count up, um, and we're hitting him all over Fenway Park, different story. I don't think he does send them. But because they were struggling so badly, the Yankee offense was not getting anything out of anybody. Um, I think that's why they decided um, to, well, that's why Nevin decided to send them. So that's a really interesting point, actually, because if you go back, you watch that replay. Nevin never really looks at the ball. He's kind of just watching judge the whole time. Right. And I wondered why he did that. You know, you wouldn't, it's his job to kind of see where the play is at because the runner's not looking and let the runner know, know whether or not to go. And Nevin's not looking at the play. And I was like, what, like, is he, am I looking at this wrong? Is he out of it? Did I miss something? But what you're saying now actually makes sense because he in his head knew he had to send him regardless of where the ball was. So that, that would actually explain where he was looking. So that's a very interesting point. But yeah, I, you know, I thought that that, how did we get into this again? I thought that that was a turning point in the game. Um, and yeah, yeah, so I, oh, right, right, right. We're question. talking about I mean, that was J.D. a Martinez. Yeah. play in the game. So I think that there is inherent value when he comes back. And by the way, we still don't know. The latest report was that they're going to test him out tomorrow, Martinez, before they have to set the, the official roster. And you know, his splits against righties and lefties this year, he's hitting 11 points better against righties. He's slugging significantly better against righties. 
there may be some sort of case that J.D. Martinez should be a platoon player here down the stretch. And if it helps you get Kike Hernandez in the outfield, if it helps you get Kyle Schwarber in the lineup as your DH, kind of settles things down at first base, uh, unless J.D. Martinez heats back up, I actually think that there may be a discussion to be had there. I'm not saying leave him off the playoff roster entirely, but I don't know that he's the everyday bat that he was in 2018 right now. Before we wrap it up, on the uh, wild card game, I want to address something that uh, Alex Rodriguez said on the broadcast oh last night. Here we go. That I don't know if you know where I'm going with this. You you might. I don't. I had to turn him off. He was too painful. But I'm excited to hear this. You can mark it down. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. You can mark okay. it down. Garrett Cole will be the 2022 American League Cy Young Award winner because Ugh. of what happened in the wild card game. I'm not going that far. I mean, you are what you are. And if you can't, he, he was good this year. He was very good. He was 15 and eight with a 3.21 ERA, a 1.08, 1.09 whip. He was very solid. He was the ace of the Yankee rotation, but to make that jump, just because of one bad performance, I understand where a rod is going with the argument from a Yankee fan perspective. And that's what a rod was sounding like when he made that statement, but I don't, I didn't see it last night. I didn't see it this year. Maybe he rebounds tremendously, but uh, he's got a lot of mileage right now on that arm. And uh, he's going to have to really change. I think a lot of the way he, he attacks hitters and he certainly can't do what he did last night in big situations. And here's what I would add to that. First off, I, I hope that right after A-Rod said, said that is when Fenway Park played Jennifer Lopez. I don't know how those two <laughs> things timed up, but I hope those two related. Uh, Cole had, yes, he was good. He was significantly, there was a significant dip from his two years in Houston and his one year with the Yankees. He, you know, the significant statistical drop off. We saw last night, he's not the mentally strongest guy. So the concept no. that that's somehow going to make done. him better. I I'm think that done. that was, Yeah. I think Did that was kind that? of disproven last night. No, wait, what is this? Well, when part, uh, one of the cameras caught him on the mound mouthing, and I believe it, it, there were people speculating that what he was saying is, I'm done, which was understandable. I mean, he just didn't have Soft. any control, any command. He couldn't get anybody out. He was all over the strike or out of the strike zone, as the case were. Um, he just couldn't get anybody out. And he had no confidence in his stuff to get the Red Sox batters out. S-A-W-F-T soft. Yeah, that really sounds like a guy who's going to come back and win the Cy Young next year. The other thing I'd add Mm -hmm. is he's got a pitch in that Little League ballpark that is Yankee Stadium 15, 16, 17 times during the season. Like that's not not, like that's not conducive. That ballpark is not conducive to one of your pitchers winning Cy Young. If anybody on that team is going to win Cy Young, it's Loisaga. That kid can freaking pitch he's nasty and i i mean as a closer won it since gagne i don't know but if anybody's going to be the next one it should be that kid i really like him but garrett cole pitching in yankee stadium given what we saw last night nothing about what i saw last night from him tells me this guy's going to be a cy young contender next year i it, it, i they really if they're going to put a rod in the booth they should put david ortiz in the booth with him i said that going into the game and i'll keep like saying that. it or or at least put millar up there or put you know um, get, get Eckersley something, get, get uh, uh, freaking Ellsbury up there. I know he, Eck would be biased, unbiased. Eck with a rod. <laughs> oh yeah. 
fucking shove them in a locker. Literally, be they'd be struggling to throw each other out of the booth. They would be. Like, I'm sh- sure of that. You need to. You need to. Like so, for instance, right? Sunday Night Football. They have um, Dungy, but they also have Rodney Harrison. And so when they talk about the Patriots and, and Peyton Manning or whatever, like they play off each other well. Somebody needs to counter a Rod. And by the way, Matt Vaskersian, who you know. Who are you rooting for last night, Matt? I, I really couldn't tell. I'm trying to will that ball out in the first inning. They need some Red Sox life in that booth, especially when these two gate when these two teams play each other. Speaking with Alex Barth of 98.5, the Sports Hub. Follow him on Twitter at Real Alex Barth, all one word. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. And as always, Bet Online is your no numero uno spot number one spot that is alex for all the pro and college football action this season with a new updated site and interface even more odds props and contests bet online continues to be the number one source for everything football head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit Don't forget to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available now for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and, yes, easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts back with Alex Barth of 98.5 the sports hub all right we already teased uh, what we are really here to talk all about and that's Red Sox Rays 2021 American League Division Series it starts Thursday night you can catch all the action eight o'clock eastern time on FS1 the lineup uh, courtesy our uh, good friend Ian Brown at Red Sox and MLB.com is projected as this it's not official obviously but um Alex, you were mentioning Kike Hernandez. He would lead off and play center field. Hunter Renfro in right field, uh, batting second. Batting third would be, of course, Raphael Devers at third base. The shortstop, Xander Bogarts, bats cleanup. The DH, Kyle Schwarber, bats fifth. The first baseman and Mr. Overlooked in my book, Bobby Dahlbeck at first base. Kevin Plawecki, not Christian Vasquez, doing the catching of Eduardo Rodriguez in game number one. Uh, batting eighth and really a, maybe the best number eight hitter in baseball left fielder Alex Verdugo certainly the most productive and then uh, the bottom of the lineup uh, batting ninth and playing second base Christian Arroyo what do you think so wait was Martinez in there or no I'm sorry no he was not I don't so, yeah, think, so I, was, I don't think they're counting on him playing by the way I was just going to add to to that the latest report and this was as of five o'clock on Monday from Pete Abe uh, J.D. Martinez doing better will test his ankle today. Again, that's Monday. So, yeah, it sounds like they're not counting on it. But I, you know, I, I I like that lineup. I think it's very similar, obviously, to the one that they just used against the Yankees. If it's not exactly the same, I don't know if I'm missing something. I think there, he, I think J.D. Same. Martinez will be active. I think he'll think be so? on the roster, available to pinch hit in an emergency situation in a five-game series. Yes, I do. I think they'll have him available uh, off the bench. Um, certainly, you know, in a DH situation, he could come in and if, uh, Cora thinks that he's healthy enough, maybe even pinch hit for Schwarber. Um, and you obviously don't impact the defensive lineup and, um, uh, how you are setting people up out 
in the field defensively. So I could see that being a scenario. Yeah. I mean, you're looking for him for like that Kirk Gibson moment, right? Where he's just yeah. smacks the balls wobbling around the bases, but yeah, I, I, I think you kind of got to go with the group that got you here. That's the group that did against the Yankees. You said Ploiecki, right, in a catcher. I like that. Yep. I thought he, he had a good game last night. Um, you know, I like that they're putting Kike Hernandez back in the outfield. Again, we saw the value in that. You know, how many times did this team get killed down the stretch just because they didn't have real outfielders playing the outfield, whether it was Schwarber, J.D. Martinez. So, I yeah, I, I like that lineup. I think that that's as good as they're going to get right now. And, yeah, I'd be careful with J.D. Martinez. If you really need him, you can bring him back. But I do think, again, I think they should put him on the roster because once they don't, they don't. They don't get him back until potentially the CS. So even if he's not ready to go for game one, I still think you you, you put him on the roster. I think they had like Ara Ooze on the roster last night, right? Like you don't need to carry him if you have Arroyo. Um, get J.D. Martinez on there and then you kind of see and, and, and go with him. But I do like that group for game one. And I think I saw it's Erod starting for game one, right? That is for correct. Game two. Yeah. So I, I like, I like, sorry, go ahead. Now, who did you say for game two? Sale. Sale, correct, on normal Abraham. Yeah, so, and that's why I like that, because, you know, you think conventionally, let's get Chris Sale out there, game one, you want to start out on the right foot, but first of all, I'm an Erod truther. I get he struggled. Uh, I think he's better than he's been. I don't know that he'll ever be the guy again that flirted with a Cy Young in 2019, but I think he's better than the guy he's been this year. Um, but I like Sale on normal rest, because if you need to stretch him out, you can stretch him out, and maybe he goes six innings even into the seventh, which would be huge. So I'll take that extra day of rest to give, to get Chris sale an extra inning or extra inning plus, you know, as well as I do that Eduardo Rodriguez has the capability of looking like absolute dog crap in one start and, and just not looking like he's in it mentally at all. Go from that to looking like Cy Young in the next start. And that could happen in the postseason, And he did it in the 2018 world series. He has that capability in him, and I think Alex Cora likes that about him. It obviously would rather do less with the mediocre Erod and more with uh, I'm going to shove it right up there, butts type of mentality that he showed in the 2018 postseason, especially in the World Series at Dodger Stadium. That's what he wants to see. Right, and then I guess the next question is game three, Back in Fenway would be Sunday. Do you go Nick Pavetta in that game, or do you go back to uh, uh, um, Nathan Valdi on on regular rest? You, so you would go Valdi there, and then if there's a game before you go Pavetta. I think some of it depends on how these first two games go. Sure, I mean, I, it, I, in a shortened series, you have to manage that way. I mean, you you don't get a chance to you know extra number three starter and Stone, and and nor should right. you. I mean, if you're down 0-2 or you're up 0-2, if you're up uh, 2-0, rather, um, Nick Pavetta is definitely a viable alternative. I like Tanner Houck in the bullpen. I thought he looked really good in the wild card game on Tuesday night. Um, I don't think the situation is going to be too big for him. And one of the reasons I don't think it's ever going to get too big for these guys is the way the organization brings them up. And Alex Cora, as the manager, is going to keep them loose and put them right into the game. I think having Tanner Houck get his feet wet in a playoff game at Fenway Park, do or die game, although the Red Sox were well ahead, it's still a do or die game, winner take all. That kind of environment to put a guy like Tanner Houck in there and have him respond, you know, with a scoreless inning, I think is a big deal. Yeah, I, I, 
liked how he used the bullpen last night. I was a little nervous about Robles. I thought Whitlock or Hauk would throw two innings because, again, I've talked about it. Like, Robles has been great. I'm not saying he hasn't, but to me, he's a guy that's due. Like, this isn't who he is, right? He's been too good for too long, and you know it's coming. But besides I that, yeah, I thought that. you are what you are. If I mean, if you're starting to pitch really well, you, there's no like, you know, voodoo child coming you in telling you, it. okay, it's you, your time, your time is up for good karma. Yeah, now it's time for you to suck. I don't, it's not I just so, don't it, think that happens. It's not so much that, it's more regressing to the mean, right? Where it's just, you know. I think I'm I'm more of the belief, Alex, you ride the hot hand. Okay, right? and that's fair. That's fair. But I, I still think the two most important, and this isn't breaking news, I still think the two most important pieces in their bullpen this year or in this playoffs are Whitlock and Howe. And I think those are the two guys that you have to circle, and, and they're going to kind of go as far pitching-wise as those two take them. We'll see if the offense can do their part. But, uh, you know, you to get each of those you're guys. Talking about, not to interrupt you, as I am wont to do. But you're talking about two rookies as the linchpins yeah. of your bullpen. But I mean, by yeah. your assertion. Well, and that's a little terrifying. But I mean, do you disagree? Like, are you going mm. to Ottavino? Uh, are you going to Barnes? Like, what? You know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's what I'd love to know about how Alex Cora really feels about those kids in tense big game situations. Like, let's say it's two. two let's say the series is tied two games apiece. Game five bottom of the eighth inning um, and you're in a tie game with runners on first and third and you need, you know, a ground ball. Are you comfortable going to Tanner? How can that situation, would you do it? If he felt, I, I, if you felt he was the best guy for that situation and his stuff could generate a ground ball, would you do it? See, you know, if I'm going lefty, lefty, maybe, or if it's lefty, maybe Brazier, but yeah, honestly, I might, I think that, in, I'll, I'll steal a Bill Belichick line here. When you get at a certain point late in the season, there's no more rookies, right? And I get it's a different environment here, but I, yet they've they, again, I don't necessarily trust anybody else. I'm not necessarily thrilled about it, about Hauk or Whitlock being those guys, but I they're still the best option. Maybe it's the best of a bad situation, but they're still the best option. And the other reason I, I'm putting them on a pedestal like this, it's not just because of how good they've been, but and and we've talked about this that Andrew Miller role that's just so crucial in the playoffs that that stretch reliever that can give you two or three innings you know two three times in a seven game series that role is so important the way playoff baseball is played somebody pointed this out last night you had arguably the top two candidates for the AL Cy Young in a winner go home game and they threw a combined 121 pitches it's all about the bullpen in the playoffs and you need those guys that can stretch you out in Whitlock and Hauk are those guys in that role? I'm not necessarily saying either of them should be the closer. I was actually a little surprised Whitlock closed last night, but here's the like the real situation I'm looking at is the one that happened last night when it's two, three, four in the eighth inning in a close game. Give me, give me Hauk or Whitlock. Give me Hauk. Frankly, give them me, give them to me one inning early. Let them get you know eight, nine, one get them warmed up and then two, three, four, and it saves the bullpen. You put your best arm out there against their best hitters. Like that's the situation to me where I don't know who else I'm turning to in that spot. I think those two guys, and again, they're rookies, but mm -hmm. that, you know, everybody, everybody has their caveat, right? Ottavino has been wildly inconsistent. Matt Barnes is, has just been bad. 
in the second half of the season. Josh Taylor, there's splits issues. Uh, uh, Ryan Brazier, again, has been really good, but in kind of a limited window. He doesn't have an extensive body of work this year. The, it, it sounds crazy, but, you know, if we're talking about the butts, but their rookies is actually the least concerning one to me in that bullpen right now. Speaking with Alex Barth of 98.5, the Sports Hub, follow him on Twitter at RealAlexBarth, all one word. Today's show is powered by the Legends brand, an athlete-owned apparel brand popping up seemingly everywhere these days, including many pro locker rooms and on some of today's top athletes. Legends is owned in part by athletes like Steve Nash, Matt Barnes, Baker Mayfield, NFL legend and local hero Willie McGinnis, and even former Celtic Marcus Morris Sr., among many others. Legends makes high-performance apparel with a style and comfort you'll want to wear all day. Visit legends.com today and see why athletes everywhere are swapping out their big box brands for Legends Apparel. Use the code SOX20, that's S-O-X-2-0, and save 20% on your first order. Again, that's legends.com. Use that promo code SOX20. The offer ends October 10th. Back with Alex Barth of 98.5 The Sports Hub, and you can follow him on Twitter, at RealAlexBarth. Apparently, he doesn't know how to center himself on his camera as we're doing this podcast. Are you with us? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You could move over to your right. I just attack. Well, see, I get, cause there's this oh, light behind the, me and it screws it up. You. So, um, I don't have like a perfect way to balance everything well, here. Way so. to prep for this podcast. I appreciate it, Alex. You come through for <laughs> us all the time. You're awesome. All right. Let's spend some time, uh, as we wrap it up on the Tampa Bay Rays and sure. the things that, uh, the Red Sox are going to have to do. First of all, their starting pitching is going to have to control the top five batters in their order, which figure to be Randy uh, Rosarina playing left field. Wander Franco, the super sensation rookie that was brought up in midseason and he hasn't disappointed. He is their shortstop. D.H. Nelson Cruz, who has experience up the wazoo. This will not be in a bigger than life situation for him batting third. Batting fourth, cleanup is third baseman Yandy Diaz and batting fifth. Second baseman likely to be batting fifth, Brandon Lau, uh, with a lot of pop. He had three homers in a game, uh, I believe, recently against the New York Yankees, a blowout win as the uh, Tampa Bay Rays clinched a 100-win season and the best record uh, in the American League. That's one thing. And the other thing is their rotation. The Red Sox are going to face Shane McClanahan uh, in game number one. And he, it seems like we say this every year, Alex Barth about Tampa Bay pictures. He had a breakout year as a young picture in the Rays rotation. He's a left-hander. He uh, had a 10 and six record this past year, 3.43 ERA. Um, he starts game one a little more than a year after he became the first picture in MLB history to debut, make his debut in the postseason. Um, he posted a 3.01 ERA with 99 strikeouts uh, over the last three months of the season. And, you know, he is a guy that uh, is really, I think, going to try and give Tampa Bay a boost right out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they've got to bank on him because without glass now, I, I right. and we talked about this a while ago, like I thought Tampa was out of it without glass now because I didn't I wasn't a huge fan of their pitching rotation now. McClanahan's come on and sometimes it's hard to project with rookies. Right. And he's obviously been that guy. So, so he checks the box, but 
Ryan Yarborough struggled. Michael Walker struggled. So if you can, if you're the Red Sox, and this is obviously easier said than done. If you can take a game started by McClanahan, you really put the Rays in a corner. It's not impossible for the Red Sox to win it if they lose game one, but it, you know, it, it kind of becomes tough for the Rays to win it, right? If they lose it, because then their pitching potentially gets totally blown up. So he, McClanahan is a pivotal player in this series. I don't have his splits in front of the Red Sox. I'm going to pull those up right now because I'm actually curious. But I, I, I think this first game is going to tell us a lot, again, because of the, the difference between what he's been able to do and what the rest of their starters have been able to do this year without Michael Waka. Or, I'm sorry, not- without uh, Tyler Glass now. Right. And um, I've got the uh, splits up in, or I don't have the splits up in front of me, but um, you know, when you take a look at Tampa Bay, Alex, you talk about their bullpen, their bullpen is their pitching strength, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. They agree with that. They, they have relied on their arms out of the bullpen um, game after game after game this year. And I think, you know, what you're trying to do, uh, if you're the Red Sox, is get to their starting pitching so their bullpen gets worn down, if that's possible, uh, in a five-game series. Yeah, yeah. I, I Again, I think if you 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 got to take it to their starters. You've got to take it to their starters. You've got to get McClanahan. you got to get through McClanahan. And then the other guys you should beat up on. If you don't beat up on them, you're missing opportunities, right? Uh, in, in, in Waka and in um, at Yarborough, right? I think. Yes. All these long names, McClanahan, Yarborough, Scar. Um, anyway, um, I, I, yeah, I, I think that the Ryan the, Yarborough, Michael Walker, Shane Boz is also uh, in their rotation. They actually list on MLB.com. They list six pictures in their rotation. Shane McClanahan tops it off uh, as the number one. Drew Rasmussen, Louis Patino, uh, Ryan Yarborough, Michael Walker, who has obviously playoff experience from his. Uh, days in st louis and shane Boss. Yeah. so again i just i i think if they can get through mcclanahan i don't necessarily feel as great about some of those other guys as i do mcclanahan so i think if you get through him and then you can especially if you can get through him and then kind of blow the bullpen up and on day one you force the rays to kind of stretch out some of those other starters who haven't been as good so i this i i always try to be hesitant right it's so easy any sport baseball basketball hockey it's so easy in any sport to look at game one and say, this is the pivotal, pivotal game of the series. You know, this game is going to decide blah, 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 right. whatever. And it's important. You want to get out to one, nothing lead, but you know, we've both seen series where game one feels like years before game, you know, even by game four, things can monumentally shift. So, but in this one, it just, because again, the way the Rays pitching staff is structured, if, and, and because it's only a five game series, not seven, that game one, Assuming McClanahan is starting, I actually don't know if they've made that official, but assuming McClanahan is starting, they have, they have, they have okay. Uh, it feels incredibly pivotal. So their bullpen um, leading the way is Diego Castillo, Andrew Kittredge, Pete Fairbanks, JP Frierson, and then uh, Dietrich ends. All of those guys have uh, powerful arms and um, also Jeffrey Springs in there as well. Um, the guys that strike out the most, um, Kittredge by far and away, 77 strikeouts and 71 and two thirds innings. 
And, you know, he's got eight saves and nine save opportunities. And as we know from Kevin Cash, he is not afraid to go to the bullpen sometimes too early, as we found out in game six <laughs> of the 2020 World Series against the Dodgers. Um, you know, Kevin Cash has got something on the line now, too. He's trying oh, yeah. to become the first Tampa Bay manager to win a World Series. And, you know, this franchise has been to two of them uh, and lost them both. And he would like to finally break through and give Tampa Bay a World Series. Don't you also think there's sort of a redemption element in this for him? Right. After oh, what no happened question. last That's year. That's a great point. No question about that. However, a manager managing for de- redemption is a lot different than players playing for redemption themselves. Well, I, I guess I mean that more in look, I don't know because baseball's been taken over by the nerds, but yep. if if he makes a similar decision. Or if there's other wonky decisions that cost the Rays this series, it should cost him his job. It won't because, one, there's nobody to call for it in Tampa. The team has no fans. And, two, the nerds running the team will probably call him a genius and build him a statue because they don't care about winning games. They care about bowing down to the math. Uh, but I I do – like you wonder how that factors in, that element of he is the reason they didn't win last year. He Cash is – in the math is the reason. Cash's math is the reason they didn't win last year. And you wonder how that factors in, but I always forget. I go on the math tangents and then forget, forget where I started. It was just so frustrating, but yeah. Oh yeah. Cash That's so to, Alex. It's so, I'm sorry. We all saw it. It was so stupid. And I hope, I hope the Rays lose because of the math again. And again, nothing will happen because the nerds love it and they don't care about winning. They care about doing their little calculations and trying to prove how smart they are. And the outcomes don't matter. Right. And, and actual baseball knowledge doesn't matter because in my notebook, it all worked and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but Oh, please let the math cost. the Okay. Race we got to get some predictions. Got to get, yeah, you know, I got to cut you off. Uh, got to get fine. to predictions. I have the Tampa Bay Rays winning this series in a taut five games, tension filled pretty much every single game. Uh, but I just think the Rays, this is their year. This is the uh, season where I think they finally cap it off with a world series crown and, and give Champa Bay one more title to raise up uh, and have uh, a victory uh, uh, procession down the canal there where uh, the Vince Lombardi trophy went swimming. Uh, um, didn't go swimming. Didn't go no, swimming. did not go Bra- swimming. Brady's right. not missing that pass. Come on, let's be honest. Uh, I actually have the Red Sox in four. I do. I I think they lose one of the two in Tampa and, and then they take care of business at home. Like we talked about on the last show, to me, this is a snowball team. I think this is a team that, that heavily steers into momentum, whether it's good or bad. And they win the game on Sunday to avoid the play in and host the wild card. They win the wild card game. I think this is a team that feels really good about themselves right now. And when they feel good about themselves, they're as good as any team in baseball. We kind of saw last night how that momentum picked up and they just, you know, they fed off it and they kept going. And I think that continues. I really think it does. And I, I, I don't think the Rays are special. I think the Rays are good. I'm not saying they're necessarily overrated, but especially without Glass now. I, you know, I think they're just another team. I think the whole field in the AL East from the Rays to the Yankees and including Chicago and, and Houston and Tampa, I think it's all relatively even. All the teams have their strengths. All the teams have their weaknesses. And I don't, you know, it's not like the NL where there's the Giants and the Dodgers just looming as these two giant figures. I think and the then Brewers are going to come out of the National League. Believe Everybody keeps saying that. People I was with last night said that too, but I just, I think the AL's wide open. I think the Red Sox have the mojo right now. I'm going Red Sox in four. I think they win it on Marathon Monday. And please, Major League Baseball, please play that game at 11 in the morning. 
it would just be it would just be perfect. It would be so <laughs> I cool. I don't think that's going to happen. But they want uh, it. There's a report out now. They want it. The Red Sox uh, want it. Yeah, but I I can't for TV purposes. I can't see them doing it. But who knows? You never know at this point. Well, according to John Tomasi, they do have to fit four games in that day into the broadcast schedule. So an early game is not out of the question. All right. Maybe I'll buy it after all. Maybe I'll buy that after all. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for downloading this special emergency Red Sox Speed podcast to discuss the victory over the New York Yankees in the American League wildcard showdown and a preview. The, the American League divisional series coming up. Best of five series. You can watch the game number one Thursday night at 8 p.m. on FS1. The Red Sox and the Rays from Tropicana Field. I want to thank our terrific guest, as always, Alex Barth from 98.5 The Sports Hub. Follow him on Twitter at RealAlexBarth, all one word. Also want to thank our terrific sponsors, as always, BetOnline.ag and Legends Brand. For Alex Barth, I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Red Sox Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media.